It's Acts 2, uh, verses 1 to 21. The Holy Spirit comes to Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They, say, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowds. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days of God, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the, Lord, the word of the Lord. There's been a debate around this uh, statement, which is a sort of fairly well-known statement. Um, I can't remember who first coined it, but it said that you are the average of your five closest friends. Some people sort of agree with that to a point. Others are quite adamant that that is not right. That's not true. Um, you'd certainly question how you'd go about proving it if it was, was true. Um, but I think there is a kernel of truth in there. You know, perhaps we're not the average of our five closest friends today, but um, a variation I've heard is something like this. The biggest predictor of who you will become over the next five years are your five closest friendships or your five closest relationships. And I think that tallies in some way. Um, another famous one, of course, is um, Heidegger's, um, you know, uh, tell me what you read and I'll tell you who you are. Um, but my own experience tells me that the people that I've spent most time with, that's been kind of one of the most formative things for me. Um, over the past 10 years, I've spent an awful lot of time with my children, which surely explains why I've become more childish and argumentative. Um, <laughs> perhaps it's them that's become more like me. Um, but I've lived it, I've, um, I've seen it uh, as a youth worker with countless teenagers. I know it's why many parents 
care about and deeply sort of fret about their children's friendship and peer groups. Um, you know, culture is about people coming together and becoming and behaving more like each other in some sense. And in a sense, that's what culture is. Um, head teachers know this. Uh, prison officers know this. Um, in the digital age, this is what sociologists have been concerned about in all the lockdowns uh, where people have been radicalized in isolation because of the undiluted influences of uh, certain harmful people. And today we're talking a bit about being with Jesus and becoming more like him. And I asked um, Jess, actually, I, yesterday I asked her if there were any illustrations she could think of for this. Um, as you know, my illustration material tends to relate to uh, my children or football. Um, anyway, she suggested that there were aspects of our marriage where we had come from two different families and become more like one another. Um, and I said that the problem is that in this scenario, this is, more, this is all about us becoming more like God, not him becoming more like us. And she said, that's okay, darling. Uh, that's okay, darling. I'll be God in this illustration, um, <laughs> which is too true. Um, and it's, it's true that after 17 years of marriage, Jess has played a greater role than anyone in my adult life in who I've become. Um, because we, we become more like those that we spend time with. It's inevitable in some way. Let's look at our reading. So this is Acts 2. Um, we've got, I, I didn't realize that this is how things worked before. There are lots of things I'm still learning, but the Bibles live on the ends of the pews. I should have worked that out sooner. So they are there now. If you want to follow along, um, grab a Bible. Um, uh, maybe someone could shout out a page number in the church Bibles. Acts 2. 1093? 1093. So page 1093, if you'd like to follow along. Um, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So remember this series, if you've not been with us the last couple of uh, weeks of it, we've called um, Gathered. Hang on, there it is. Gathered, what is the church for or what's the point in church? And uh, gathered, this word gathered, is the literal translation of the Greek word ecclesia, um, which we translate in the Bible as church. So the church starts out literally as a small group of people gathered. And that's what we see here. They're gathered uh, together in one place. And verse 2, suddenly a uh, sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So we talked about this last Sunday um, at our sort of platinum jubilee, Pentecost, all in service. The Holy Spirit comes and the tangible experience of the disciples fits right into the Jewish expectation, the Jewish experience of God's presence in the Old Testament. So the Hebrew word um, for the Spirit is, does anyone remember? It's ruach. Okay, you probably didn't say it because you're worried it sounded like you're clearing your throat. Um, and and the lit again, the literal translation of the word ruach is wind or breath. So it makes sense that God's Spirit is experienced here as like the blowing of a violent wind. His Spirit is ruach, the wind. And then um, fire. So fire is how God is experienced by Moses in the burning bush, um, by the Israelites in the desert when they follow the, he leads them in the pillar of fire, um, and by Solomon at this moment, this kind of high point in Israel's story, the dedication of the temple. He's built this temple, 
And as they dedicate it, um, God turns up in power and, and, and fills the temple with fire, presumably not destructive fire. So in the Old Testament, the temple is filled with fire as a sign of God's presence. And now in Acts, we're seeing the same thing. And this time God's fire comes down and it separates out and it comes to rest over each of them. And they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. I love the Bible Project's analysis of this in which they interpret the disciples at this point as basically becoming little mobile temples. So the the fire that fills the temple, the fire is now over each of them. I think that's a helpful image of what's going on here. Verse 4, they began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. So remember, you've got all these, these Jews gathered from all the nations, the kind of scattered Jewish people gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. It's kind of a little bit like our harvest festival, except the people would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this festival. And they all hear, they're from different nations, and they all hear the disciples speaking by the Holy Spirit in their own languages. Um, And this is the fulfillment of what was promised really right back in the days of Abraham, that all nations would be blessed through him. The people of Israel, his chosen people, would become a light to all nations. Um, Jeremiah, prophet Jeremiah, talks about God's house becoming a house of prayer, God says, for all nations. And I love the kind of wonderful diversity of of, um, nationalities and ethnicities that we have at All Souls. It's a living fulfillment of God's promises. This is what his kingdom looks like. You know, we we talk about racial justice and harmony is not just a kind of an add-on. It's a prophetic, essential characteristic of the authentic church. And we'll come on to more of that later on in this series, because it's a key theme of these chapters of Acts. So the the people are asking, what does this mean? Peter gets up. Remember, cowardly Peter, who ran away from Jesus, um, and after Jesus' death and resurrection was in hiding for fear of the authorities. And Peter boldly gets up and he explains that this is uh, the day of the Lord. This is the moment that Israel has been waiting for. This is the fulfillment of the promises in the prophets of a new kind of kingdom. So let's just rewind. That's the the story we're looking at, the first part of Acts 2 today. We'll do the second half of Acts 2 next week. Let's just consider what's going on here. So in the Old Testament, to meet with God, you had to go to the temple. Or you had to go, before that, to the, the tabernacle, the kind of temporary temple. Or else you had to experience some random moment of encounter with God, like Jacob. Um, but with Jesus... To meet with God, you had to be in Bethlehem or Jerusalem or Samaria or Capernaum or wherever he happened to be. Now the Spirit comes and you can be with God anywhere. Now there's never been any limit to God's presence in creation, but we're seeing something new here, something promised from ancient times. And we often talk about the way, um, I remember doing this with the youth or with the kids, there's something about it in Energize somewhere about the way somebody calculated the way that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament scriptures is remarkable. Um, it's, it's over 300 prophecies, I believe. Um, somebody calculated the probability as one person coming along, fulfilling all those prophecies as being something like one times 10 to the power of 30 or something bonkers like that. But actually, there are prophecies about Jesus, and then there are prophecies about 
the new kind of kingdom, the new reality that the Messiah would usher in. Um, remember the disciples just before Jesus leaves them in Acts 1, if you were here a few weeks ago, they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking in terms of the old kind of kingdom, the, the nation state, if you like. And Jesus says, no, wait for power from on high, and you're going to take this gospel, this new kind of kingdom to the ends of the earth. It's going to be for all nations, for all peoples. So Pentecost creates, if you like, a new kind of temple, the people. This will be important in understanding the stories in the weeks ahead. And it ushers in a new kind of kingdom, not based on uh, national boundaries or ethnicity. And this um, apocalyptic language we heard um, at the end of the reading from the prophet Joel, which Peter quotes to the crowd. So um, just so you know, the prophet Joel, so he lived hundreds of years before this. And he spoke these words and he talked of wonders in the heavens, signs on the earth, the sun to darkness, the moon to blood. Um, these would have been familiar code words for those um, who knew their Old Testament, who understood the story of the Old Testament. They referred to something called the day of the Lord. Um, and the day when there would be the kind of the inauguration of this new kingdom. When God would give his people new hearts and a new kind of relationship with him. That was what was promised. Um, so those words, well, they, they sound very dramatic, but they, they, you have to understand what they're pointing to. And that kingdom is all about God's personal presence with his people, his people from every tongue and tribe and language, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, um, a.k.a. us. Um, and we could talk about the gifts of the Spirit, we could talk about the fruit of the Spirit, but actually this is the thing I really want to focus on. It's the big picture to which the tongues and the prophecies and the signs and the wonders all point. That God's kingdom was here in a new and never before seen way based on him being with us. And we've talked about this before. Um, John Ortberg, um, you may remember back in our autumn series, um, Sam Wells, Ruth Haley Barton, they've all articulated this really well, the idea of a with you God. Um, we talk about it at Christmas, of course, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And this is his priority for God. This is what it's all about it was from the start it's the end game of the story a relational god father son and holy spirit it's uh, the trinity you know it's actually trinity sunday today um for those who follow the liturgical calendar um which i like to call the liturgical calendar um sorry weird vicar niche thing um all you need to know is i should be wearing red today so if i was doing it properly i'd be wearing red um but i'm not sorry um pentecost sorry um <laughs> back to the notes Pentecost is all about God ripping up the, the rule book, um, not ripping it up so much as rather the rule book being fulfilled by Jesus' death, death and resurrection, and now we can be with God again. So Pentecost is all about presence. It's all about the Holy Spirit, his personal presence with us. To what end does God want to be with us? He wants to be with us because he wants to be with us. That's why he made us. It's why we exist. And us choosing not to be with him is where it all went wrong with us. 
with you and with me living in his world without him. That's the Christian understanding of where this has all gone so wrong. And he wants to be with us, to enjoy us and so that we can enjoy him and so that he can rescue us and rescue us from ourselves and so we can become more like him. We become like those we spend time with. It's inevitable. And the essence of being a follower of Jesus or um, being his disciple or apprentice today is saying, that's who I want to be more like. That's who I want to model myself on. The one who modeled humility and grace and wisdom and love and forgiveness and healing and restoration. One who brought light into dark places, confronted evil, proclaimed freedom and release to captives and prisoners, who brought sight to the blind. The one who goes looking and searching for that which is lost. That's what this world needs. That's what this parish needs. That's what my family needs. That's what I need. To be more like Jesus. Well, how does that happen? Well, by being with Jesus, of course. Because we become like those we spend time with. And that's what Pentecost was all about. Jesus' presence by the power of the Holy Spirit, available for everyone, everywhere. And you know, just to be super clear, because this is one of the most misunderstood things in Christianity, we don't try to become like Jesus in order to satisfy him. We can't. I certainly can't. We can't get close to him by following the letter of the law. That's what the Old Testament teaches us. It's he who comes to us with open arms in the cross. And we just open our arms and receive his salvation, what he's done for us that we could never do for ourselves. And then it's through being with him that we begin to become more like him. It's a response to his grace and his presence in our lives. It's not the criteria to earn it. So how do we do that? How do we spend more time with Jesus? The clues were there last week. For those who are here for the Platinum Jubilee service, we talked about the crown jewels um, and all their finery, their symbolism, five billion pounds worth. I think we said, although they're priceless, but they're rated to be about five billion pounds worth. The crown jewels that the queen um, you know, bestowed upon the queen at her coronation. And then she's given these two things. So first, she's given a Bible. And it's described to her while she's holding all this stuff as the most valuable thing that this world affords. I mean, simply put, this is the easiest way to start getting to know Jesus, to spend time with him, to read the stories, to meditate on them, not just to sort of read them um, and, and understand them, but just dwell in them, spend time reflecting on them and encountering Jesus in them, as millions have done over the many centuries get into the gospels find stories that connect with you um, find stories that you find tricky and spend time digging into them you know there's never been a better time to be kind of getting into reading listening to the bible there are so many ways so many apps so many commentaries and resources out there to help you do that if you want to know more um, please do come and speak to me that would make my day
if you want to know how to get into the Bible more. Second, the queen was um, anointed, remember, with oil. Um, we mentioned oil since biblical times is a symbol of God's Holy Spirit, his anointing. And the Spirit enables us to pray to our Heavenly Father. And uh, the Spirit reveals Jesus to us, so we pray. We seek moments of encounter with God. Because when that happens, it changes everything. We can go from knowing about God to knowing God, knowing God with us. You know, we talk about being a word and spirit church. Um, that's a phrase you may have heard. And this is why, you know, the Bible and the Holy Spirit enable us to know Jesus, to know uh, God with us. Finally, to kind of circle back to where we started, really, it, it takes time. Um, we have to make time for it. If we want to know God with us, if we want to become more like him, then we have to make regular time and space for that, just like any relationship. We can't expect it to happen otherwise because we become like those that we spend time with. It's inevitable. It's the same with God. So let's make time. And we'll end by, by making some time right now. So why don't we just close our eyes, still ourselves, and we're going to pray.